0: All right, so if you're not already, if you can, would you please stand with us? We are standing today to read the scripture because the Reformation is continuing, like Mark said. One of our points here is uh, solo scriptura, which means the Bible alone has the authority, um, the ultimate authority, and we're thankful for that, right? If that uh, Reformation had never happened, you probably wouldn't even be able to read this, and if... If you do, it'd be in Latin, which is an awful language. And not only that, but it would have cost you, you know, 15 bucks to even get in here and do that. So we are thankful that the Reformation has made it, that God's grace is free and his gospel is free and it is powerful. And it's nothing from us. It's all from God, right? We're thankful for that. So if you would, when we're done reading, will you please say thanks be to God for this word? All right, this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 on page 989 in the black Bibles around the room. Opposed to the pre-Reformation days, if you want a Bible, you can take it home, okay? All right, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. For good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. I'll pray with me now, please. God, please send your spirit this morning. Open our hearts, open our minds that we may hear and be changed by this. Help us to understand that our suffering as Christians needs to be in the right perspective and help us to go forth on mission for you. After hearing this message, please bless Pastor Shea. Help him to speak well. Help his throat to get better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you can do a round of applause for Bishop Shea of Sparks.
1: Please don't. Please don't. How's everybody doing this morning? I'm going to put this right here. I have my own. Um, so, hello. Good to see you guys. Can I turn like this? Light, these lights down a little bit? Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so, I'm Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. Really good to be with all of you this morning. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series through the books of Thessalonians. Uh, if you're new and you haven't been with us, uh, we've been uh, calling this series Viral Hope, uh, and the reason why we call it that is because this message of grace, it is so good. Uh, it is so transformative. It, we cannot keep it to ourselves. Uh, it, this, is, this is something that if we tried to keep it internally, we would almost explode. Like, it's, it's that much good news. This is, this is the news that saves people from eternal damnation. Uh, and to keep it to ourselves, man, would be a detriment to the entire world. That's that's what the reformers believe. That's why we're constantly reforming. That's why we're constantly preaching this word of God. Is so uh, instead of uh, the newest and latest kitten video going viral, uh, the gospel goes viral. And, and, and droves of people are saved by this good news. That's why we want to call it Viral Hope. Um, so I want to give you guys a warning. One, uh, I'm used to, like, talking with my hands and so if I grip the mic like a rapper like you you know what's going on like I'm just I'm not used to it. Two uh, my throat kind of hurts and if I like sound like Steve Urkel a little bit and and, like go into puberty and out of puberty and it's because of that it's 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 been a thing all week so (laughs) I do that. Um, Second Thessalonians Uh, we are picking it up in chapter one uh, First Thessalonians was Paul writing to this newly formed church uh, in Thessalonica. It's a, it's a city in, in modern day like Greece and Turkey, somewhere in that area. And uh, this church was so brand new. Paul only preached there for about three Sundays. Uh, and they were, they were going through the wringer. Um, and so Paul hears about the, this report. He, he sends them a letter to encourage them. Uh, he gets this report back that since his first letter things have gotten worse that the the uh the the protagonists and 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 everything that was going on it was it was increasing the afflictions all of these things were increasing they were getting nervous about like what's okay what's this whole second coming of Christ thing like, so they were confused and they were they were wondering what was happening so Paul sends them the second letter to the Thessalonian church and that's what we have right here in front of us um, all these things were we're happening to them and so Paul is writing them, especially as you read in this first chapter, he's writing to encourage these Thessalonians in the face of this intense persecution that they were going through. Um, but that's what happens to people when we start actually like living a Christian life as opposed to just calling ourselves Christians, when we actually start living the Christian life, when we actually start proclaiming Christ to a culture that says we don't want him, we start, we start suffering some afflictions. People don't really like that message of truth in their face. They, they'd much rather have, uh, like don't tell me how to live uh, in sexual purity. I've got my own ideas about how that works. Don't tell me how to spend my money. I, I actually need this $50,000 car and can't afford it. Don't tell me how to, to do all these things. Don't tell me uh, what Jesus uh, wants to do over my life. I wanna do for my life. Culture, Culture doesn't really like uh, the Christian message coming along, uh, and they lash out. It's, it's a fearful thing sometimes uh, to get caught in the crosshairs of culture when you're starting to live for Jesus. Um, just yesterday, I don't know if you guys have heard of this fellow, but there's a man named Kanye West. Um, he's a, um, if you haven't heard of him, he's, he's a world influencer with his music. And um, it's not just the genre of music he makes, He's, he's an icon in culture. Uh, and just recently, he dedicated his life to Christ. Um, for sure. Um, and this isn't one of those, like, where's my blessings? Uh, let, let Jesus serve me kind of thing. Like, this is, this is a true repentance of faith, where this man is on his album talking about, I am a wretch, but God is greater. And I serve the living God now. I, I was once working for Satan, and now I'm working for the living God. Like he's, he's using those lyrics. You can see his heart of repentance. But in one of his songs, he actually dements that now that the world is rejecting him for believing in Christ, he can't find a place in the church because the church has nothing but disdain for him. <laughs> Amen. Right? Imagine that. Like, you, you wanting to call a place home but can't find home within the family of faith that you now profess but you can't go back to what you came from because you know that was headed for destruction. The suffering, the persecution, the, the affliction that comes with isolation like that. And he cries. I, I, I'm, my heart is heavy for him. Because what's a Christian to do? When, when we're faced with persecution, when we're faced with all these afflictions, where do we go? Where, where, where do we turn to when the world seems like it's against us? How are we to live our lives and view persecution in a, in a godly, Christ centered way? And it, it's it's not just like entertainers and stuff like that. It it hits home for us too. Maybe you're at work or, or at school, and, and the person who's in authority over you or, or your peers are looking at your Christian faith and they're saying, that's, that's garbage. Why do you believe in that junk? Maybe, maybe like you you've had. This life that you're that you're you're serving the Lord faithfully and, and things are going well and, and then they don't, and, and life just crumbles around you. Where where do you turn in your Christian faith when it feels like God has turned his back on you? Maybe you've maybe you've had some bad things happen in your life and, and you see them, and you're like, Well, why is God punishing me? What have I done to him? Why won't he turn my life around? How am I to view the the world? And, and my flesh persecuting me and afflicting me and keep that in a Christian perspective. I feel like that's what Paul is writing to this Thessalonians about. Um, he's, he's trying to encourage them in their, in their sufferings, trying to help them have this Christian perspective in their suffering. And regardless of what your view and, and where you are in suffering, the things that we go through, that we suffer in this world are almost our identification with our life in Christ. The world will not love us. If, if it didn't love Christ, what, what do we think it's going to do for us? If we are clinging to Christ as the only source of life, and, and the world is saying, no, cling to money, cling, cling to fame, chase this, chase that, and we're saying, no, I want Jesus. What do you think the world's going to do? And We see it on full display. And so Paul is trying to encourage the Thessalonians in their suffering to have this this proper perspective with their, with their suffering. So that's what I'm going to be preaching on today. Christian suffering in its proper perspective. Let's look at it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Read that with me. It says, Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. So Paul opens up his letter in typical fashion. He's like, yo, what's up, y'all? Your boy Paul here. He's just dropping a line, say, What's up? What'd it do? What child too? Right? And sometimes we read it like that. And so and so in our minds we decide to skip over it a little bit. But man, in typical Paul fashion, he laces so much theological truth, even in his greeting to this church. And so we would do ourselves a disservice by skipping over what God has ordained to write in his word, which this is the word of God. Profitable, every single line, for our correction and reproof, for building up of the saints, for every single good work. This is the word of God that we have. Not only that, Christ was put on the cross, and the reformers were put to death so that we could hold this and read this. We would do ourselves a disservice by not reading it. So let's read it. Pick up the book, all right? So, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to define some terms in here. Uh, Some of us might be new to this whole Christian thing, and that's cool. Uh, Grace, he says, grace to you. Um, Grace is any action or gift that is freely given but completely undeserved. Any action or gift freely given that's undeserved. It's like when uh, Christmas time comes around and you know what your kid's been doing all year long. You get them little turkeys gifts anyway. It's a, it's a freely given gift. They don't have to say they love you. They don't have to get you a gift. They might, they might get you a crappy gift like a tie or <laughs> new underwear, I don't know. But you still love them and you will freely give to them. That's, that's this idea of what grace is. I like the way uh, the New Living Translation quotes 1 Corinthians 4. It says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? The grace that you have, the, the, the day that you woke up with, it is a gift to you, given by God freely, simply for the fact that he loves you for no other reason I love the song, the the lyrics. They go, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would send his only son to make this wretch his treasure. Man, God freely given his his grace to people. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our father. Peace is this legal term that identifies our, our legal standing within God's court of justice and righteousness. So before Jesus rescued us, we were hostile to God in every single way. There there wasn't one thing about our lives that wasn't set against God's rule. We were were hostile, we were were, uh, usurping, trying to usurp God's rule, we were trying to put ourselves in the place of God. We were trying to live our lives our own way. And I don't know, like we don't live in a monarchy, but to usurp the king is, is treason, and the penalty for treason is death, and that's what we had. That, that's what we were destined for. But Christ, when Christ died, and intervened on our ha- on our behalf. See, we can't we can't escape a divine judgment without divine intervention. We needed someone to step in on our behalf in front of a divine God and said, "But I have paid their debt." they can go free. And that's what Christ did for us. In his perfect life that he lived, in his death, in his resurrection, we are now free to walk into the presence of God and say, Daddy, I've been wanting to hug you for so long. We are now at peace with God through the blood of Christ. Amen, church. This is good news. So when Paul says to us, grace to you and peace from Father and the Lord, He's given us this theological summary of the good news that those who were once at war with God now have the standing of peace. We've been set free. We've been adopted. We've been given this this eternal inheritance. And that's important for us to remember because it's it's that thought. It's it's knowing that we're at peace with God and we have his grace that when turbulent times hit, that's what we can rely on. That's that's the thought that keeps us through. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 Paul tells the church to be thankful in all circumstances. It's, it's the baseline of our Christian life. It's, it's how we view the world, it's, and, and it helps us keep our suffering in, in its proper perspective. So Paul focuses on thankfulness, and he, and he points out two directions that we should point our thankfulness. The first place is thankfulness to God. He says, I thank God that you're even still a church. He says, To the church of the Thessalonians, and God. They were three three weeks worth of preaching. And then they were this church. And so they, they had been in existence for less than maybe like, what, six months? And now they were suffering through all this affliction and persecution and all these things. And Paul was concerned that they were going to fall away. But he says, thanks be to God that you're still here. And I can say that for us too. Thanks be to God that we're still a church. That the gospel is still being preached week by week, that, that people are still signing up to be baptized. That we're still tithing, that we're still giving, that we're still serving our city, that we're still trying to plant churches in our neighborhoods. Thank God for that. There was, uh, we, we were talking as pastors, we've, we've lost, uh, across Livingstone's networks, we've lost like 10 pastors in the last five years whether it was dudes to them moving around or, or because they disqualified themselves, we could have folded at any time. Matter of fact, some churches have folded for less. But God is still faithful. He's still working and moving. The, the spirit of God is still pressing us forward. Thanks be to God. He's all, he also says that he's thankful to God for the grace and peace that that comes from God to the people. You ever thank God that like you're, you're saved by his grace. You ever just sit back and remember your life, what it was? You're like, oh man, I could, I could have been dead like three times already. But God saved me. He redeemed me. He brought me out of where I was and gave, gave me something new and fresh. I had this, I had this one person uh, come to me in, in our community group. Um, and they were like, so when Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, how come God didn't just like follow through on his promise and just like kill them on the spot? He was thinking that when they ate the fruit, that it was like poisonous and they would just like keel over. And I had to explain to him like that, that was part of it. Yes, like that's the day when we started to decay in, in our physical selves. But he was talking about something much more than that. Our, our souls died that day. We were separated from God that day. We could do, no longer do anything pleasing to God that day. So God did keep his promise that day. But here's the other part of that. God didn't just kill them over on the spot because he loves to display his grace and give his peace. It's at the core of his heart that he wants sinners to come to repentance. He wants his children to come into his presence. So yeah, very easily could God have crushed Adam and Eve right on the spot, but he made a sacrifice for them. He brought them back into a covenant of faith. Plus, our God is in the heavens. He can do whatever he wants to do. There's that. Verse 3 says, uh, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your, steadfast, for your f- steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul says that he ought always, that they ought always to give thanks for the people. It's not that Paul, like, felt obligated, like, duty-bound kind of thing, but he was seeing their faith. The way way they expressed themselves, the way their their love was growing, he was like, man, how could I not? Look at you guys. You're killing it. You're doing such a good job. I, I I would be crazy not to thank God for you. And I thank God for all of you, too. Like, as a pastor of this church, I love coming to church on Sundays. I love Hugging you guys, it, it, it kind of makes some of you feel uncomfortable, but I don't care. I love you. I want to I hug you and, and let you know how much I love you and, and, and watching you grow in your faith. And I've watched some of you grow from new believer to now serving in the church and you're doing all these things. I'm, I'm, how could I not? It's awesome. I love being a pastor in this church. And Paul says the same thing. I, I ought to always give thanks for you. He says, "I give thanks to God for you because your faith is growing abundantly." That that word abundantly, if you look at it in its original context, it's this word for for something that fruits or flowers. It's this it's this almost like gardening term. My wife over over the summer, uh, she planted some um, some tomato plants. Um, she didn't ask me because she knew I would have just kill the whole thing; like they wouldn't survive like two days. Um, but she she planted these tomato plants and. Uh, it was like a what's the big ones? Like just a Rome, not a Roma tomato. The big ones. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The big ones and the small ones. And it were all over the place. And, and when they when they fruited, when they flowered, when they became the tomatoes that they were they were born to be, man, we were plucking them off the vine and we we were eating them. They were so juicy and plump and like just gushing out your mouth. And you're like, oh my God, this is so delicious, right? It's that. It's that newness, that, that, that life-giving, like, I just enjoy this. That's what Paul is saying here. Like, I'm watching your faith, and it it's so good, it's so juicy. I'm like, oh, man, I'm salivating about how, how thankful to God I am for you. I'm looking at your faith, and it's so great. It's, it's this joyful expression that Paul has for the church because he's watching them. He's so proud of them. He says, I'm proud of you. I ought to give thanks, God to, say, thanks to God for you because your love is increasing. You're not not being separated into little cliques and like the cool kids are over here and nobody can break into the cool kid crowd. That that doesn't happen in this church, right? (laughs) Your love is increasing for everyone. Everyone's included. You're you're welcoming the outsider. You're making them feel like they're insiders. You're you're being hospitable toward those who, who hate Christ, but you're welcoming them anyway. Your love is growing and I'm so encouraged by. He says, I brag about you when I go to other places. I brag about how you're steadfast in your persecutions. He's like, when, when persecution comes against you, you just stand peacefully. He's like, when, when somebody comes against you, you, you're turning the other cheek like Christ instructed. I have a hard time with that. I'm gonna be honest. Like, because I want to turn my cheek and then come around with the roundhouse. Like, I got a lot of fight in me still. But well, Paul says, you're not acting like that. You're not, you're not acting out of step with your faith. He says, you're, you're, you have this faith despite your persecutions. They were able to contextualize their suffering in light of the gospel, that if, that if Christ went through this, of course we're going through this. And I put my hope in this, that one day this won't be a thing. One day suffering won't overcome me. One day the afflictions of this world are gonna stop because Christ is gonna come back. They were putting their faith in that. How we doing? Because here's the thing. I, I struggle with this part. All week long, I've been preparing the sermon and and knowing what the Bible says, I, I struggle. I struggle turning the other cheek. I struggle seeing my suffering through light of the gospel. When bad times hit me or, or somebody comes against me, I get angry. I get upset. I want to go back at them. I don't want people to step to me. So what do we do? How do, how do, we, how do we see people coming against us? How do we see these persecutions and inflict, afflictions in light of the gospel? And then there's there's this thing about being thankful in all circumstances. And I, and I see my friends suffering with cancer. Or, or they're dying without the gospel. Or... Or I see little, little black boys dead in the street because of some kind of brutality and stupid people doing stupid things. How, how am I thankful in all circumstances? How do we do that? That's when we, we need this reminder, not only of Christ's perfect life, that he lived on our behalf, not only of the sacrifice him giving up his life on our behalf, not only the the power that he exercised over death and his resurrection from the grave, not only do I need to think toward those things, I need to think to his second coming when he's going to put all those things to shame. We look forward to our bridegroom coming back and it should simultaneously console, encourage and warn us. And that's what Paul is going through in this next section of scripture. Look at verse five. He says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all those who believe, because our testimony to you was believed. Paul says here that the things we're going through are not in vain. It's not just blind faith. It's not just empty suffering. There will be a day of atonement. There will be a day of reckoning. And for some of us, it, it causes different emotions. For some of us, it's, it's, it's a consoling thing. Like it, it warms us on the inside to know that Christ is coming back. Maybe we've been victimized by someone. And we're carrying this burden. And every night we can't help but cry ourselves to sleep. And the, the thought of the second coming of Christ when he's coming back for his saints. It's, it's a warm feeling. It's like God putting his holy arms around you and saying, Baby, I got you. For some, thinking about the second current coming of Christ, it's an encouraging thing. It means we can be bold in our faith. It means when the world is saying, Don't bring your Jesus into the town square, we can say, Forget that, here's Christ. It means we could drop an album and say, Jesus, 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 King, Jesus, nanny, nanny, boo boo. Ha. And be, and be encouraged. We don't have to be put to shame. We don't have to close our mouths. We don't have to go to work and be silent while they're talking about their life of sin. We could talk about our life of righteousness in Christ. But it also serves as a warning. Because those of us who are in Christ and we've seen and tasted that the Lord is good and then we live our lives as if we never tasted it in the first place. Christ is coming back. Oof. And this, this isn't, it's not a pretty picture that the Bible paints. Like, at all. It's a picture of the, of the wrath of God who is judging every, every single bit of rebellion against him. All of our rebellious thoughts, all of our rebellious actions, all of the times where we've fallen short, God puts it all under judgment and slaughters it. There's there's nothing that stands in the way of his goodness, at all. And if and if you're here and you're living a life like that, like you you're you're here on Sunday and you're 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 raising your hands in praise and you're you're into the sermon and then the like tomorrow comes along and you're just living your life as if you, you were never in the presence of God. This this is a warning. Christ is coming back. Paul is making this case that God is going to come back to justly repay all those who have come against uh, not only God, but of his people. He says he's going to come back with with mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on the unbeliever and the disobedient. Look at what Romans 1 has to say about those who are unbelievers. Romans Romans 1 verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth." For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and the divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse no one can say they don't know that God is real and that they need to stand in humble obedience to them because God has made it clearly Clearly perceptible. The unbeliever will not escape the second coming of Christ, nor with the disobedient. That's those who know the truth of God, but don't follow his commands. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Either the sexually immoral nor the idolater, nor the adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That means those who have received Christ and know who Christ is cannot continue to live a life as if they didn't know. That day is not a great day for those who rebel against the holiness of God. And it's going to be the destruction of the day. This day is unparalleled. It's like every Marvel movie in existence right now is basing itself off of this day of the Lord. The destruction. There, there's nothing left. I mean, you got Hulk just smashing cars and, and Thor with cheesy one-liners all over the place. It's a crazy day. I thought that was gonna go better. <laughs> There'll be no deliberations, no appeals, no, no lessening of the sentence, no, no possibilities of parole. That judgment of Christ is gonna be final, irrevocable, and eternal. As the author of Hebrews wrote, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But not only will the unrighteousness of that day be punished, he also says that on that day, God is gonna grant relief to us. And the relief that, the only hope of relief that we have is in Christ. We could take that word relief and we can look at it in its original context. It's also the word for rest. God gives us his rest in Christ. Our minds can be put to rest because we're now at peace with God. Our bodies can be put at rest because we're no longer suffering the things of this world or we're at peace with God in our transformed bodies at his second coming. In Christ, we have rest. But we get caught up in our sins, man. Because sin is... For sure, like we're victims of sin, but then we got like this crazy Stockholm syndrome where we fall in love with it and we fully participate with it. As if we don't know that sin is causing a separation from God. We love it. We love following the things of this world. We don't want to be brought to light. We love our darkness. We need to be rescued. need relief we need rest jesus says come to me all you who are labor and are heavy laden i will give you that rest in other words at the end of this trial filled life with all of its persecutions and afflictions and things coming against us and us against things at the end of all things when we cling to christ we get him for all eternity christ is coming back church this, is, this statement is at the center of our Christian hope. It means in our, in our times of great need, we're reminded that though Christ is seated at the right hand of God, there will be a time when he comes back to mend the brokenhearted and to lift up the, the heavy laden. When he comes back, the, all the temptation that we face and all the times we fall for the, for the world's tasty treats God is going to come back and and put all those things to shame so that we can just cling to him and not all the lesser things of this life. In the times that we're way off course in our Christian life, I mean, like way off course. And our brothers and sisters in the faith are trying to bring us back and we're rejecting their, their wise counsel. And we just want to live our own life the way we want to live it. The second coming of Christ is saying to us, hey, get back on track. You don't want to be outside of my arms when this day comes. The Lord's return also serves as a warning to those who are not in Christ. Um, you may be here, and you've come to church all your life. sat in church, you've heard the preaching of the God, but there's, there's never been a time when you've fully submitted to him. You may be one of those folks that you, you see Christians, and you're like, meh, I, yeah, I'm not dealing with Maybe even like like your parents were Christians and and you're relying on that. Like maybe they baptized you as babies and you're like, well, I'm I'm good, right? But you you haven't submitted to God yourself. This, Paul would say to you that this coming judgment, you won't escape it. The, The end of it is eternal punishment. Not only eternal punishment, but separation is from the presence of God. Here's the thing: the worst part of being found guilty in, in, in your treasonous actions against God is it's not the excruciating pain of, of eternity. Like it's not being tossed into the lake of fire that's the most discerning, like concerning thing. It's the separation from God's goodness. That's the concerning part. So all this common grace we get right now like the the birth of a little baby he looks so cute he might be ugly but he's still so cute. The time that the, the sun shines and a rainbow hits us and it just fills our heart with joy. The accolades we get from work, the the graduations, all those all those good things like a nice bourbon, all those all those good things in life right? Those those are all common grace things. God shines those things on sinners and saints alike, but what's it gonna be like when God removes his common grace and tosses us into the pit of hell without his presence? That's the scary part. And even as I'm thinking about Christ, it wasn't, it wasn't the thorns that were pushed to his head that was, that was the most brutal. It wasn't the lashes that he received that ripped his flesh from his body. It wasn't, it wasn't the spear going into his side as as blood gushed out of him. It wasn't being spit on and his beard poured out and and, and all these other things. It wasn't even the suffocation of the cross because that's what that torture chamber did. It suffocated you to death. It wasn't any of those things that was the most concerning for him. It was his separation from the father. His final moments when he cries out, father, why have you forsaken me? Where Where are you? And the truth is, in those moments on the cross, God took all the sinfulness that was due to us and placed it on Christ. So that at his death, Christ was receiving all of that anger of God placed on him instead of on us. And he experienced the separation from God so that we wouldn't have to. Saints loved by God, you do not have to be separated from the presence of the Father. Jesus did it for you. Just believe in Christ. You can can call out to him right now. The Bible says, for those who believe, you have the right to be called a child of God. Just believe and call out to him. Just just believe, right? Such a simple word, but it's, it's deep too, man. Because even demons believe in Jesus, at least they shudder at him. So what is belief? It's, it's this, this, this deep theological thought, and, and Paul gives some words to it when he talks about it in verse 10. He says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. Paul says that we should stand in awe of Christ. We should be, we should be captivated in amazement at his life, death, and resurrection. We should, be, we should sit back and be astonished that he would trade his righteous life, his 100% oxyclean robes for our filthy rags. We should, we should, we should be overcome with amazement by him. That's what it means to believe. It's, this, it's to live in this hopeful anticipation that one day Christ is gonna come back to take us home and he's prepared this home for us where we can live with him for all eternity. That's what it means to believe in Christ. So the things that we're going through right now, the, the bad times, the, the heartache, the pain, the, the illnesses, the sicknesses, when well, we believe those things, are they don't even compare to what we get in Christ. I like how 2 Corinthians says it, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair perplexed but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. He goes on to say, so don't lose heart. Though our inner, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What we receive in Christ at the end of all things is much greater than what we go through right now. And I know, like, so our suffering, when it's put into context, it's just served to, like, encourage us and console us and warn us. And I know, like, we go through stuff, man. I'm like, I'm not trying to make light of what this world throws at us, not in the least bit. I know it hurts. I know, like, we just got a call earlier this week of these, these parents that are grieving the loss of their 14-year-old son. I know Things are hard in this life. Like I'm trying, I'm not trying to minimize it. But when we see Christ for who He is, and we see His second coming, and we rely on Him, we understand that there's something much better waiting for us. And we could put it in its proper context. But we can't do that ourselves. We need we need the power of Jesus to get us through those things. And the only way we do that is through approaching God in prayer. Let's look at verse 11. It says to this end, so that so that. Uh, basically what he's saying there, so that you can marvel at Christ, so that you can be a believer in him when he comes back. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith in his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, so that we that, we can see you among the saints of God, we're going to continue to pray for you. Um, I want to to address this this prayer thing really quick because I've got friends who are not believers and they'll say stuff like, so your Bible says, does it not? Like I always enjoy conversations like that. Your Bible says, does it not? That Jesus said you can pray in his name and he'll give you whatever you want. As if God is like some cosmic genie that you're like, come on, lottery. It's not like that. that. Prayer doesn't work that way. When Jesus says to pray in his name, he says, by my power, in my understanding, in my will, so that as your life is being transformed and you're being renewed more and more to my image, go ahead and ask for the things that you want because the things you want are the things I want. So we both win." Ask away. Ask for God to plant a church in Sparks so that more people could come to Christ. Ask for God to save your friends so that they can enjoy the the blessings of heaven instead of the destruction of hell. Go ahead. Jesus would love for you to pray for those things. Paul says that he's praying for these saints so that God may make them worthy of this calling that he's already called them to. We've already been called out from where we were. The Bible says we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, but that God pulled us out and gave us this life of faith, but to keep praying for them. Like I pray that you you live this life that's worthy of the calling. Once again, not something we can do in ourselves. When temptation hits us, we it's like we love to live into those temptations. We love like gossip. A little gossip comes along instead of living righteously and not like talking bad about somebody, which God equates to murder, we dive right in. Ooh, tell me more. Can't help it. Like there's something in us that's broken. We need the power of the gospel to transform us. And so Paul is praying that I pray that you live worthy of this calling. He said, "I'm praying to I'm praying for you so that God may fulfill every good thing that He wants you to do. Every good thing that He wants for you." Paul saying, "I, I want to pray that God gives it to you." Paul is, is almost here. He's like he's equating God with our Abba, with 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 our Daddy, and what Daddy doesn't want to give his kids good things. What, what father, when, when a kid asks for an apple, gives him a scorpion? No dad would do that. And God does the same way. He's waiting to give his kids good things. He's praying whew, that God may exercise every work of faith in you by his power. That means that we don't always pray for God to take away these persecutions and afflictions. Because sometimes God gives them to them on purpose. Sometimes as we're praying for more faith in God, God gives a person cancer. And says, yes, here's how I want you to rely on me more. There's sometimes when we say, God, I just want to be, I want to live this humble life for you um, and, and just live for you. And God takes away all your earthly possessions and says, awesome. Here's your humility. Live in me. I, I, I try to uh, have this thought with my kids all the time. They're like, Dad, can we can we can we have some ice cream before bed? I'm like, not just no. No. <laughs> what would why would I do that? I love you. I don't want you staying up till five in the morning because you're all hopped up on sugar. I love you. So the answer is no. Sometimes we don't hear that from God. Sometimes we, we hear the no, and you're like, well, God, you don't love me. And God's like, no, I do love you. I just got something better for you. So here's this persecution that's going to humble you. Here's this affliction that I could put in your way to make you more in my image. The Apostle Paul said he had some kind of affliction that he was praying for God to take away. Three times he said he prayed, and essentially the answer was no. But Paul saw it because he had this proper perspective. He saw it, man, this is keeping me humble. Thank God that God has given me this affliction. So when we're suffering, and it seems like life is so bleak and, and glim, like nothing, nothing's ever going to stop, let's pursue the Lord in prayer. Pursu- like, pursue the Lord, and God, help me get this proper perspective of what you're putting me through right now. You don't, you don't have to take it away. And saints, sometimes God may not take it away. But he's good to you, and he loves you, and he has something for you. And it helps us put our, our suffering in its proper perspective. So here's what I want to do. Um, just for a couple minutes, because um, I know we're trying to get out of here, whatever. <clears throat> I want us to take some time to pray. You know what you're going through. You, you know what suffering, what affliction you have. You know what God has placed in your way. You know the burden that's on your heart. Maybe it's a burden for a community that's being that's under persecution. Maybe, you're, maybe your heart is thinking about the saints in other countries that are being drugged out of their house right now and beheaded simply because of their faith. Maybe maybe something's going on where you've got a boss that's just terrible. Maybe you, you want this thing and you feel like it's God honoring, but God won't give it to you. Let's pray that God help us put some of these things in its proper perspective. Let's pray that right now. Lord, have mercy. Thank you for these brothers and sisters loved by you. I love them so much. Everything we've been through as a church, everything that we have on the horizon, it's been an awesome display of God's calling for a local congregation. I'm so proud to be a member of this body of faith. And when Jesus returns in all his glory to set all things right, to take us home to be with him. He's going to put away all suffering, all persecution, all afflictions, all the times that we've fallen short, all the times that we've woken up and and been anything but thankful, all the times when someone has just gotten on our last nerve and we just can't take it anymore. He's going to take all those things away and usher in his ruling, loving reign and we get to see him face-to-face for all eternity. Thank you so much, God. Until then, help us have these thankful hearts. Help us keep pursuing you in prayer, asking for your help to put this life in its proper perspective. We can't do it on our own. We need you. Help give us endurance. Help give us perseverance until the very end. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.